Welcome to episode 65 of the uh, Ski Podcast. This is going to be our last episode of 2020 and I'm sure we're all looking forward to 2021. So thank you for joining us and uh, don't forget that you can also listen to us on your smart speaker or via YouTube uh, now as well. Now today we're going to be covering all sorts of things, we're going to be looking at Team GB, we're going to be looking at whether you can ski in Europe and whether people have been escaping from Switzerland. Uh, we're also going to be talking about my own trip to Switzerland earlier this month to Cromontana and cross country, uh, which is on the rise and with the, uh, the lifts being closed at the moment. We're going to be talking about skiing in Wales and sustainability in chalets. But uh, first, I'd like to welcome my guests uh, for today. And they are uh, Bethany Garner, who's joining us from the Chamonix Valley. Morning, Bethany. How are you? Good morning, Ian. I'm fine, thank you. I'm looking at snow, which is good news. Good, that's very exciting. And uh, regular listeners to the show will know our next guest who's joining us today, Mike Richards, who's been on many times before. How are you, Mike? Good morning, Ian. Season greetings. Yes, very well, thanks. If I squint, I can see snow from my house as well. <laughs> that's good. Well, sadly, uh, here in Brighton, I can't see any snow at all. But um, before we just move on, I'd just like to thank Switzerland Tourism for supporting the podcast. Uh, we really appreciate their support. But let's go back to snow. Um, this is a question I like to ask all of our guests when they come on. So, Bethany, you can answer this first. When did you ski last? Um, I had a ski on Boxing Day. I, I, I did a little skin up to get rid of um, the Christmas festivities, shall we say, and ski <laughs> down. So, yeah, I was very lucky. It um, we had a, We'd had a bit of fresh snow, um, so it was nice in parts, shall we say. Okay, where where was that, Bethany? Um, in Lesouche. In Lesouche. Right. Okay. Excellent. Well, that sounds pretty good. And and what was your vertical gain? Were you going for it? <laughs> uh, I think nine hundred ish. So not bad. Ooh, for that's a big day out. Yeah. And Mike, what about yourself? When did you last ski? I was very fortunate to ski yesterday in the uh, oh. central Beacons. <laughs> we had a good well, fall over uh, uh, the last couple of evenings, so it came down hot and heavy and. Um, it was challenging, did not much visibility because it was still snowing for most of the day when I was up there, but uh, managed to ski right back to the car park, which is a rarity uh, at the moment. But so got a good sort of 450 vertical meters and uh, well, really packed in nicely windblown snow to tuft skiing. That is very exciting to hear. And I love the fact you're skiing in Great Britain. And we're going to ask you about that in a little bit more detail later. I will just throw in that uh, I skied in Cromontana early this month, while I know it was uh, still legal to go there and come back. Um, but we'll also come on to Cromontana. Let's, ha let's have a little chat about uh, Team GB, because Team GB have started racing. All the racing in the World Cup, etc., is behind closed doors at the moment. But just to chip in, because I know listeners like to get an update on Dave Riding. He's been on the show a couple of times. He came 10th in his first race of the season in Alta Badia in Italy. Um, I was also really uh, pleased for Andrew Young, who took a podium. He was second in the cross-country in uh, Dresden he also had a third I think elsewhere and we're going to be talking about cross-country more so now that I've tried it I've got a lot of respect but I also wanted to uh, chip in about an athlete I didn't know of called uh, Mia Brooks now Mia Brooks is 13 years old 
and she got a podium on her senior debut and I, i'm going to put a link to this in the show notes she's a snowboarder competing in slope style in the europa cup and uh, i just think that's amazing she's actually going to be too young unless the winter olympics are delayed to uh, qualify for the winter olympics uh, so she's targeting 2026 but that's amazing now bethany i know that you used to do uh, the media for Snowsport GB, didn't you? Mia Brooks is only 13. Have you come across her at all? Yeah, so, yeah, I, I was used to work with, when, when it was British Ski and Snowboard, it's now obviously um, uh, GB Snowsport. But, yeah, she, I did come across her when she was, I, I, I'm just trying to think how old she would have been, maybe nine or ten. But already then she was earmarked as a as a big talent. She was she is talented, hugely talented. Um, and yeah, she's just been working hard. I think she's a she's a real grafter. She's obviously naturally talented, but she works really hard at what she does. Um, and it's yeah, um, amazing feat. Probably maybe not surprising because she is so talented. But I don't know if you read the story that her her coach had to had to fly home at the last minute. She was so she was there on her own, and then she managed a podium. So a pretty incredible story. And that is only the start. I think she's going to become a big name, and we're going to hear a lot about her. So yeah, I, I love I love hearing stories like that. Just it's just brilliant. I love that. I mean, 13 years old, just the amount of confidence she must have, which is which is brilliant. And another skier who I noticed has, has pulled out a good result, who I think we've mentioned on the podcast before, but is Reese Bell. Now, that name might be familiar to some listeners. Certainly the surname will be, because she is the daughter of Martin Bell and the niece of Graham Bell. And she is 19 years old now and has been brought up over in the States, but is also racing for um, Team GB. Um, have you come across her at all, Bethany? I've never met her um, because she's primarily based out in the US. But yeah, again, uh, over the probably the last four or so years, um, since she actually came onto the British team, um, she's been consistently performing well at her level. Um, and then now she's doing fist races and, uh, a, a, you know, a first place in a fist race is a pretty big deal. So, yeah, she's she's primarily based out of Vail. Um, so she does a lot with the Vale Ski Club, uh, but I know she has also been tra tra uh, training with the British Ski Academy. So she's been spending some time in Europe. So, yeah, again, very, very talented and, and, and one to watch for sure. Great. Well, two, two names to watch there, Mia Brooks and, uh, and Reese Bell. Uh, who knows when the next Olympics will be, um, but we'll d discover that in, in due course. Um, obviously, the future has so much uncertainty uh, to it. I mean, since our last episode, we've actually had our Brexit uh, deal, uh, so to speak. It means that uh, going into Europe uh, from the 1st of January, as, as I understand it today, and we're recording on the 29th of December, it's not going to be possible under current COVID regulations. You're going to have to make sure your passport is at least six months in date. We have no idea yet what the situation will be for British people working, of which I have contacted uh, Charlie Owen from, from SBIT, Seasonal Businesses in Travel, and they still are looking through all of the detail to try and find out how it will affect uh, British workers when they uh, go uh, over to work in Europe, assuming that uh, does continue. But the biggest change since um, our last podcast is that you, although the lifts are still open in Switzerland, you can no longer ski in Switzerland. And a story I'm sure both of you uh, will have probably seen 
has been in the media the last couple of days about British people escaping from Verbier and fleeing in the night. Did you did you see this story, Mike? And what did you think about that? I did, and I'm very fortunate that I have uh, two friends that live in Verbier, and um, stretching the truth would be a, a, a massive understatement. I think you know, holidaymakers took the opportunity while it was still legal and classified as safe if they'd taken all the precautions to go on a winter holiday. And then circumstances changed when they were out there. And, um, it, you know, it, it was the picture that was painted was almost like the flight from Israel. You know, it, uh, it, it was blown out of all proportion and, and absolute nonsense just to, to get people to click through on the stories on the Internet or, you know, to sell newspapers. And unfortunately, those those people who had their holiday disrupted, uh, they knew what they were letting themselves in for, I think. Um, and they gambled. And on this occasion, unfortunately, they lost. But uh a non-story i would say yeah well that's interesting because it is kind of my view as well i i think that's probably the view of people who are within the industry just the way it was reported made it sound like the great escape as if all of these holiday makers had all bust out in one group the 420 people in quarantine and verbier who fled under the cover of darkness etc and i've i've looked into this and I think a reasonable amount of detail and certainly they were legally entitled to leave or that does seem that in the valet they needed to get um, authority but for example in in Vengen which is in the um, Bern canton uh, I think they were just given permission to leave if they wanted to if they wanted to travel back and made sure that uh, I think they had to not use public transport so they could hire a car or they could drive in their own car uh, between the airport or just back to um, the UK via France, making sure that they uh, took precautions along the way, then that would be fully uh, legal. Um, any thoughts on this, Bethany, in it being in a country where uh, I believe Macron has told people not to go to Switzerland at the moment? Yeah, I, I tend to agree with Mike. Um, I, th I think it was completely dramatised. And, and it's interesting, I, I saw the article in a Swiss uh, website and then you know it's you can see it I'm um, pardon the pun snowballing you know one British outlook picks it up blah 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 you know I, I work in the media I, I still see it all the time so yeah I, you know like Mike said they 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 went out and it was all legal and then just said you've got to quarantine and they just decided to to get out get out of there and yeah I don't actually I haven't really looked into the legalities but yeah a bit of a non-story but you know, maybe get, get skiing in the press. Maybe it's OK. Maybe it's OK. <laughs> right. I'm not sure this is the right way to get into the press. There <laughs> actually have been some very interesting articles in The Telegraph written by someone who I know, and I'm pretty sure you know her as well, Bethany, Alex Moore. Yeah. Okay. She has been in Vengen and she's been writing an update of what it's been like in quarantine. And I'm very much hoping that I might be able to interview her and drop it into the podcast. So, uh, listener, if you suddenly find an interview appearing now, then I have. Great. Okay. I'm here with Alex Moore, who is currently over in Vengen in quarantine. Hi, Alex. How yeah. are you? Hi. Yeah. You know what? It's actually been okay. I'm pretty okay. lucky. 
<laughs> okay, that's good. We've had a couple of technical problems, but we've resolved them now. So we're going to find out a little bit more about what it's like to be in quarantine in uh, Switzerland. Um, this is probably not a new thing, but I have noticed a lot of people have got very angry on social media over the last few days about reports coming out of Switzerland, uh, some of which might be a bit dubious. So we're going to find out a few more details because Alex genuinely is in uh, Wingen. And I believe that you have been in quarantine for nine days now. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Nine days. Just one more to go. <laughs> one more day to go. So that must be pretty yeah. exciting. Tell, tell me to, to start off with, like, firstly, I'd like to just introduce this by saying, you know, OK, lots of people get angry about certain things, but it's totally legal going to Switzerland, you know, prior to uh, this quarantine starting. You know, I went to uh, Switzerland to Cromontana uh, in mid-December and the hygiene measures over there are incredible. And, you know, some people might think that, uh, you know, there's a risk or you're spreading a coronavirus. Etc. All I can say is from my own personal experience, from what I saw in Switzerland, is that uh, the hygiene measures in place are incredibly detailed and much more uh, in-depth than anything I've really seen in the UK. But we'll put that aside because I want to keep the politics out of it and focus on you, Alex. You arrived before quarantine started, I take it. Yeah, I did. Um, so yeah. I arrived a day before the quarantine started. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I, I understand the frustration from everybody's you know, who came out trying to get away for Christmas, trying to at least have a nice, enjoyable Christmas because of this year. Um, and, you know, retrospective quarantine is something new. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that, that was before. that was quite um, surprising when they announced it. So effectively, uh, if, uh, you know, viewers don't understand what happened, uh, even though it was only announced on the 20th of December, I think it was the 20th, 21st, they, actually, the no, 21st, no. they backdated yeah. that to the 14th. Yeah. So anyone who'd arrived in Switzerland after the 14th of December still had to quarantine for 10 days, which would be, you know, a lot of a shock. Well, I mean, uh, you know, they've been walking around town and skiing and doing everything they've you know, lead, just being normal, leading a normal life in Switzerland, obviously wearing masks and doing everything, the guidelines, but then being told after however many days, seven or whatever, that you have to sit in your room. I understand the confusion. Um, For sure. Can I, can, I, can I ask, Alex, how you found out that you needed to quarantine? I imagine words spread very quickly, but were you formally told at all? Yeah. Uh, so I was sent a message. I think everybody who has an English phone uh, in Switzerland is automatically sent a message um, saying if you came in on or after the 14th, you have to quarantine for 10 days and you have to register with the Gemeinde, which is the uh, like right, town, the local hall, town hall, town hall yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the canton that you're in. So uh, you have two days to do that when you're when you've arrived you have within two days to tell them that you're here and that you're quarantining and obviously you're not going to move <laughs> so, but you had to uh, you had to go out to register you actually had to no 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 no, no so no, no no you do it on the phone so they send you a link right. yeah okay. so you don't have to go anywhere yeah like just to chip in i mean i was so i was in Cromontana from the 13th mm -hmm. to the 17th mm -hmm. of uh december so 
on that backdated basis, I should have been quarantining, but I had already left Switzerland because yeah. I was back in the UK. And I actually got a text message saying, oh, you need to quarantine, yeah. even though, I mean, I don't know how they got the records. Perhaps they got it from the hotel or something like that. But I certainly that... my phone wasn't in Switzerland at the time. Yeah. You're on day nine now. So tomorrow is nine. your last day of quarantine. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So therefore, um, I mean, how difficult has it been? Like looking out at the mountains around you, not being able to go out. In them? <laughs> I mean, obviously, when it's absolutely pelting it down with snow and uh, your entire family are off on, you know, ski school and whatever else, uh, even walking the dog because I brought my dog. Uh, you know, you, you're a bit like, oh, okay, see you later. Have a great day. I'll just be here if you need anything. Um but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's been fine. I, I'm again, as I said, I'm really, really lucky. I'm not sitting in my flat in London. So, you know, if yeah, I'm going to quarantine and, and anywhere, it's going to be here. Or today, today is, uh, I lose track of it in the holidays, but I think it's Tuesday today. So your first day yeah. of skiing will be Thursday. So you're going to be, be first Thursday. lifting, first lifting on Thursday? Yeah, I I might be on bring your niece and nephew to ski school duty, and then I will be like, bye, have a lovely time, see you later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can so. see you getting out there really quickly. Just to go back to France, um, are you aware, Bethany, of anyone, or would you <laughs> even be able to prepare to tell us going over to Switzerland, or does it even matter if you can go ski touring? So. Yeah, a lot of people are just going ski touring in France. I know people that have gone to Switzerland. I, um, I know mountain guides are legally allowed to go there and work. So, friend, so uh, I know some British mountain guides based in the Chamonix Valley who have been going to Switzerland for work. That's completely legal. Um, and from their from their information, I know the Raj gendarmes are, are police at the border. Um, what I don't know is if they're if they're stopping. Kind of normal people so non-professionals going through the border or not but it is being uh discouraged for sure and i don't think many people are doing it because you know it's a really busy period anyway in christmas and um you know it's 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 there's lots of lift queues etc so by the looks of when i've been touring the last few weeks everybody's ski touring in france that's what i would say there's a lot of people on the mountain yeah, well, that does seem to be the case. I mean, I will put a link into the show notes where uh, I read an article about uh, the border authorities stopping people leaving France and just warning them that they were not meant to go skiing in Switzerland, but not actually stopping anyone uh, from doing it. But the facts are the lifts are still turning uh, in Switzerland. And this is because in in cantons like the valet they've kept their uh, r rate down you know the restaurants have now closed as of the uh, 27th of december uh, but i went out to uh, cromontana uh, earlier this month uh, and predominantly i chose cromontana because they also are into ski touring and the kind of irony is that um, i spent the first couple of days i only took two lifts in the first couple of days you know, you couldn't have felt more secure than uh, you know it was while I was there. I did have a guide with me who who took me round, but he was the only person I shared a lift with in the entire time that I was there. Uh, and I think that's probably one of the, I guess, the ironies of ski touring because I guess you're probably familiar with this, uh, uh, Mike. I mean, when you're ski touring, 
the, one of the reasons we've been talking about it so much this year is because you don't need to take lifts at all. Great if you can have the opportunity to take a lift to a higher point and then tour from there. Um, and oftentimes, you know, the, the snow low down isn't of a good enough quality to tour on anyway. It'll, if it's wet, if the snow is wet, it'll saturate the skins. Yeah, I mean, that actually, when I was in Cromontana, okay, the first day, uh, we did take the lift up to the mid station and then we toured from there. Uh, it was uh, on the second day I went without the guide and actually I just toured from the uh, from the bottom of the resort. It wasn't really, uh, you know, such a big drama. But that was interesting what you said there about the snow sticking, because on the second day when I got a bit higher, the snow was very cold and it was sticking to the bottom of my skins. Now, I'm not a fully experienced ski tourer yet, but I understand now that you really should be waxing your skins as in the same way as you might wax your skis and that can stop that snow sticking. Have you ever had that kind of situation? Um, I've never waxed my skins. I mean, you just keep them as dry as you possibly can and you put them on when you feel that the snow that you're going to be touring on is going to be the snow that you're going to be skiing on. So there'll be no temperature change as such from the uphill movement to the downhill movement. Right. Is it, it's interesting. Christian, my guide, also told me that he irons his skins, which really surprised me, just to kind of, you know, keep them as smooth as possible. But, you know, I did enjoy my time in Cromontana. They've got a set of um, 15 um, ski touring routes there. So they call it the uh, Rando Park. And I'd say that Cromontana, you know, it's it's probably not the most exciting resort that I've been to based on what I was able to ski. You know, with Christian, my guide, as we were going up to the glacier, he pointed out different off-piece runs that in different circumstances we could have tried. And that would, certainly would have made it, you know, much more challenging. South-facing, so I'd say good for uh, good for families, etc. But those ski touring routes are a really good way of, uh, of getting into it. Uh, have either of you, Bethany, have you been to Cromontana at all? I have. I've been a few times, actually, and I have. I've done a ski touring route in the in the Rando Park as well. Uh, really great route, actually. Had a, a really good time. Um, and I've also started a started and ended a big multi trip ski tour in and out of Montana, and that was late season, uh, you know, kind of typical touring season. And yeah, south facing. It was it was there wasn't much snow low down, but um, yeah, it's an it's an interesting place, Montana. But I think you have to get to know it a bit better. And when you get to know it, you start to like it more. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course it does. I mean, I think it helps when you have a guide, a Christian was just explaining to me about all the different routes and you can see how these things fit together. Mike, I know you skied in all sorts of resorts all over the world. Have you been to Cromontana? Only in the night time. I went up for dinner and it was a fabulous dinner um, based down in uh, Montreux. And uh, I'd skied a couple of days in that area, but Cromontana didn't have the snow. that or I don't think it actually was open that early. I went to Lausanne and to... Uh, Glacier 3000 and that was good early sort of member skiing uh, a couple of years back um, I think it's a great idea though for these resorts that uh, a lot of the time now I think we're, we're losing the aesthetic of skiing because everything is very much about performance and how quick you can go and how you can measure vertical and all those kinds of things and you know getting to the top of the lift and stopping and having a look and you know to use the American vernacular smell of the coffee I think it's being lost a little bit so having these um, multi-ability um, routes where you can almost take a walk in the mountains but you're doing it on skis is a fantastic thing especially if you've got a knowledgeable guide who can tell you about the flora the fauna a little bit history of the valley 
then it, it makes it a very different ski day out, I think. And I think those kinds of things in future will be more and more popular. Yeah, I mean, funnily enough, you could almost be Christian, uh, my guy, talking right then, because he was specifically going on about how, how he finds it frustrating. People are too concerned with their ski tracks uh, apps rather than just looking around and enjoying themselves. And, you know, as you say, that the, the, the part there, they've got all sorts of different uh different routes with different elevations etc and they have got one called the thousand and on my second day i set off thinking right i'm going to do this thousand meter uh vertical and i got to about 800 i'd done about 800 meters and i thought you know i don't need to do this <laughs> like what's the point of just going on for another how long it was just to kind of you know tick a little box i've really enjoyed it and uh and you know, I think it's time to uh, to to turn around. So I like I like what you're um, what you're saying there. So um, yeah, I, in relation to Croix, you know, I think I will go back there again. One of the things I did like about it in particular was I travelled by train as I normally do, and um, because uh, regular listeners will know, uh, Ski Flight Free is a campaign I founded to encourage people to travel to ski resorts by train, and that was very straightforward. Uh, I travelled from uh, Eurostar to Paris, uh, across Paris, uh, Garde Lyon uh, down to Lausanne. And then from Lausanne, you just go along the valley to uh, the Rhone Valley to Sierre. And in Sierre, they have a funicular that goes up to the resort. And of course, it being Switzerland, that timing of that funicular fits in exactly with the arrival of your train. You've got enough time to get out, actually had enough time to just go to the supermarket, buy a couple of things, walk over to the funicular straight up into resort. And so, you know, it was very, very straightforward way of uh, traveling. And I'll drop a video of that into the uh, show notes. Uh, but another thing I did while I was in uh, Grand Montana, which was really interesting, was I dropped down to a place called the uh, Alaya Chalet, which is about 15 minutes drive, maybe 10 minutes drive below uh, Grand Montana itself. And this is just an amazing facility which has um, an outdoor skate park and an indoor skate park and an indoor area for um, gymnasts, for parkour and for freestylers just to practice with lots of foam pits. Um, such an amazing facility. And uh, I met with the owner there called uh, Adam uh, Bonvin, and uh, this is what we uh, talked about. So I'm uh, here today with uh, Adam uh, Bonvin. Uh, how are you today? I'm really good. You? <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm I'm really good. I'm very impressed with your setup here, which is the uh, Alaya Chalet, uh, just uh, below Cron uh, Montana. Uh, do you want to kind of briefly explain? I mean, I can see it from where I'm sitting in this amazing bar, looking down. But you want to explain what facilities yeah, you've got here? So it's an action sport facility. We mean action sport, all the uh, sport skiing, skating. Uh, roller BMX. So we have two, three main places in the in the building. One is the uh, gym activity. We are tumbling, parkour park. We have trampoline. We even have airbags to train your tricks and jump in it. And uh, we have the only um, big uh, trampoline with a five by five. You can see over there. Yeah. Uh, so it's the only one in the in Valais. So a lot of pro comes around to training this one because you can jump higher than eight meter on this right one. okay i mean i think a lot of uh, parents who are listening to this will probably have been to some of those trampoline parks in the uk with their kids and i can tell you that this is 
completely different from that. There's much more technical. I mean, my daughter loves gymnastics. There's a massive uh, tumbling mat here where you could get a proper run in and the uh, parkour section, which my son would love, is just uh, amazing. And that's just on one side. Then on the other side, over there, we've got a, uh, a full indoor skate park, haven't we? Exactly. So the, on the other side, it's really like a, the paradise for wheels. So we have an indoor ball, we have a pump track, we have a big air with an airbag to land, and also a resi landing, where you can really train your tricks and then either go outside or go to the snow park to retrain. We have a unique uh, ski and snowball with wheels as well. that we can. Yeah, I up. saw those. I'll, I'll stick a photo in the show notes. They, they're amazing. <laughs> yeah, so like these kids can train in summer as well, their ski technique. Yeah and then in winter be ready for the snow park. Yeah, and so people can uh, come here. Um, they can either come on a, a day trip or you do camps as well, so it's residential, so someone could come and stay and they could either be a generalist or they could specialise in one area. Exactly. We offer either the full action sport experience where you can skate, you can ski with us for the week, or you can just come in and specialise. We have coach in scooter, in skateboard or BMX, so you can really do a week to specialize in the sport you love. And uh, then we are working on a, on a surf park down in Sion. So the, the goal is to offer in those camps to ski, surf, and uh, skate the same day. Yeah, the surf park sounds uh, amazing. It, uh, when we discussed it before, you said it would be um, perhaps similar to the place in Bristol called uh, The Wave and offer you, you know, different choices of waves uh, you know, from 50 centimetres to two metres or something like that. Sounds uh, amazing. And effectively, you can then offer people four seasons coverage for all of these different sports. Yes, that's really the, the dream and the vision with Alaya, is to offer the client either for a day trip or a week or weekend to come ski, skate and surf. And as we are 30 minutes away from the wave and the ski resort, so within uh, one hour, you can leave your ski at the hotel and be in the wave already. Yeah, I love, I love that idea. And, you know, some people might uh, have, uh, you know, kids or teenagers or yourself, you might be interested in taking one of the courses. But you can also do day trips here as well. And I think they found this really interesting because it fits in really well with what Cron Montana are offering at the moment, which is something called the hotel pass. So you book your accommodation and then on a daily basis, you can buy your lift pass from the reception in the hotel and get a discount on it. It means you don't have to commit to a six-day pass. So if the weather was bad one day and you're here as a family, you could then, uh, you know, you say, oh, well, I tell you what, why don't we just come down to the Elias Chalet today and enjoy the facilities down here? And then when you come on a day trip, you can pay for the whole place or you can yes. choose... So we either it's really a la carte you can take a full day activities or you can just book a one hour of skate or trampoline it's really it depends your schedule what you want to do and the the luck we are with with alaya is that we are four season activity that you can come in winter or summer we are always open and uh, the weather cannot really annoy us so <laughs> when it's a bad weather on the ski slope we are really full and packed here and it's a really combined activity for people over for the week or the weekend they can enjoy the ski and then they can come at night or during the day uh, here. Yeah, and it suits all uh, abilities. But you mentioned to me before that you often find that, for example, in summer, you get a lot of uh, teams who are training up in Sasfe. Yeah. But if it's a bad weather day in Sasfe, they'll actually come down from the mountain and come over here so they can keep different aspects of their training going. It's really the core with Alaya is to uh, provide like really high-level infrastructure 
that you can really train even if you're an amateur and you want to have fun or you can train as a pro team. So with all the pros coming in SASFE during summer and here during winter to train, we have like all the best teams around the world coming to do a training here. So it's really amazing to see that what we design work really well and people are happy from a beginner that is eight year old to like a pro that's won yeah. the Olympic Games. Well, I love that idea that you could be down here and then, you know, on the track next to you, the trampoline next to you, there's someone who's uh, an Olympic athlete, for example. That would be uh, that would be great. Well, you know, next time we're coming down the valet with, uh, with my kids, we're definitely going to drop in here because it looks great. Uh, that's brilliant, Adam. Thank you very much and, and all the best for this winter. Thank you. My pleasure. So, I mean, I said in the interview there that, uh, you know, my kids would love it. And my, my, my daughter loves gymnastics. I have a massive tumbling mat there. My son loves parkour. But actually, you know, if you're a professional, um, a freestyler, Adam was telling me how athletes, if they're in, up in Sasfe in the summer and it's a bad weather day, instead of using the park there where they can't use a park there, they'll actually drive down, come along uh, to the Elias Chalet and use the facilities there to continue to practice their moves. And what he's also developing in Seal or near to Seal is going to be a surf centre like that um, place called the Wave, I think it is, in uh, Bristol. And yeah. the idea is that people, you know, it'll, it'll be a four-season facility. So people will go surfing, they can go skateboarding, you can go up onto the mountain, They've got a, uh, um, a massive pipe in, uh, in Cromontana anyway, and they're building a, um, a, an accommodation up there as well. So, you know, that will be really interesting, and I, I'm definitely going to try and um, track it down. But let's be a bit more prosaic, because I'm never going to be flying through the, uh, through the air into a, a foam pit, I don't think. But I did try cross-country while I was in uh, Crawl Montana, the different end of the uh, scale. And this was the first time I'd done it in 25 years. And I did it with my guide, uh, Christian, and I got a little bit of uh, audio here from that. So, uh, oh, I'm standing at the top of the glacier in uh, Crawl Montana with the thinnest skis I've ever seen beneath me. It's a... Uh, I can't say I feel comfortable um, learning how to put on uh, my boots onto the skis. I feel like a complete beginner, but that's because I am a complete beginner. So let's just see how this goes. So that was interesting. Uh, just been up a, a T-bar on cross-country skis. That's another first for me, despite the fact I've been skiing for many, many years. Uh, sometimes it's a bit of a challenge when you're on a T-bar, but uh, it seemed to go okay, didn't it, Christian? <laughs> yeah, and uh, my first couple of runs, we've been practicing skating. We practiced uh, classic. Uh, we're just uh, on the uh, piste uh, area at the moment because there's a slight delay in the cross-country area opening. It being up here on the glacier, a crevasse has appeared uh, where they're just putting in a uh, snow bridge at the moment. But we will go down and check it out once it's uh, secured. So, uh, progressing well. So, uh, that was my, well, first time uh, cross-country skiing for uh, 25 years. And... Uh, it was such a strange experience being a, a novice and a beginner again, uh, just feeling so awkward on those skis, like a, you know Bambi or a 
deer when it's first trying to stand up. But I got to grips with it. I had excellent tuition uh, from Christian. And uh, it's a shame that we weren't able to go on the, the full runs on the uh, ski de fond uh, area, but we had uh, plenty of uh, space to go around uh, here. And pool, proper exercise at uh, 3,000 uh, metres, but uh, very pure air, very clean, all the uh, sun glistening off the crystals on the snow. Really lovely morning. So that was my cross-country experience, you know, really, really interesting to, to be a beginner again and to be out of my comfort zone. Uh, now, Bethany, I believe that you've been doing quite a lot of cross-country in, in recent years, or is it just this winter? Tell me. Um, I think the last four to five years I've been doing it, but dabbling, because uh, what ends up happening is you kind of do a little bit and then the lists open and you go alpine skiing and you forget about cross country. Uh, but obviously this season, no list opening. Um, I've definitely done more than I've ever done before. So last season, I, I well, I don't know why I've never done it before, but I took, a, I took a lesson and that changed it all for me, actually having a lesson and someone telling me how to do it properly. Um, I, I personally, I love it. I, you know, I'm quite into fitness, so it kind of ticks that box. But also, depending when where you are, you feel like you can get away from it. Um, I, I'd say a normal season, it's normally quite quiet. This season is is exactly the opposite. But we can talk about that in a bit. Um, but yeah, it's 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 maybe going back to the roots of skiing, you could say. But it's it's worth a try. But as you found out, Ian going from normally having what 90 centimeters under your foot to having a skinny ski, you're like when you first time you do it you're like what is going on this is the weirdest feeling and the boots so supple compared to an, a, a you know a normal ski boot so uh, yeah but i'm 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 a convert so there we go yeah well it's true well i don't know if you listen to our uh, the mini podcast that i put out just before christmas where we had mark seaton a mountain guide from chamonix uh, on and he was saying the number of people who are doing cross country in chamonix is just uh, amazing and all the shops have sold out of cross country gear you can't get hold of uh, anything and um, mike have you ever tried cross country i haven't no but um on those lower sections of ski touring where it's not just the up, you have those little downhill sections where it's it's too much it's, it's not a long enough stretch to take the skins off and lock the heel down so you kind of try to do a little bit of alpine stroke telemark turn downhill to get to the next up hill and it's very very difficult it's, it's well a, yeah it's really even more feeling. difficult even more difficult when you're on the cross-country skis and you know i was lucky enough with christian for he gave me a, a lesson and we did classic and cl classic is basically when you go straight and that is relatively straightforward but skating oh my god <laughs> difficult was that and I think am I right bet that you're a, you prefer skating you're a skater uh, I do prefer skating um maybe that's because I I, I ice skate so it, it doesn't feel too unusual but you you well you say all these things but these are just kind of general sweeping things but you go you do go faster when you're skating unless you're next to one of the pros who are going classicking and when they're running uphill on their classic skis which is the most amazing thing to watch um but yeah i i prefer skating but both both are great i've got i've got set up for both but i i would i would urge listeners to just youtube some and watch some of the professional guys doing cross country because it is phenomenal to watch when they're kind of speeding around corners and speeding up hills it's 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 pretty impressive 
Yeah, well, I mean, that's true enough. I mentioned Andrew Young uh, earlier, and I've got tremendous ad admiration for all of those guys. I, I think, Bethany, you mentioned to me that you've actually bought a specific cross-country pass for your region. Is that right? What, what does it cover and how much does it cost? Yeah, because of where I live, I'm just out, outside of Chamonix, so I'm close to Megève and Le Contamine and other places. So I, I decided to buy a Haute-Savoie Nordic Pass, which gives you access to any Nordic centre in the Haute-Savoie. So I'm, I've kind of got on my bucket list to go and try some of places I've not been to in the winter. So like the uh, Plateau de Glière, which people might remember from this year's Tour de France, a uh, very famous um, plateau. Uh, famous from uh, uh, the Second World War as well. Um, so, yeah, we could try up there and Soleil and another just above Clues called Agis. So, yeah, I've got a, a big list of cross-country cross country centres to go to. So maybe the lists don't need to open because I've got lots of things to do before they open. <laughs> yeah, and is that kind of pass expensive? It's not expensive at all, actually. I think it's really good value. It's I paid €122, Euros, and if you'd have got it, I think in November on its kind of promotional rate, it would have been 99 euros. Yeah, excellent. And that covers all of those uh, areas. Well, that, that sounds that sounds good. I mean, I would would I do it again? Obviously, I prefer to ski um, with the lifts being closed. There's been an increase in interest in it. I would probably go for ski touring, but I'm not going to say I wouldn't do it again. In, in Cromontana, we went up to the glacier and it's quite unusual in that we were doing our cross country at 3000 meters rather than down at resort level, which is typically more likely where you would do it. And that glacier essentially was just a, uh, a cross country area, a whole bunch of uh, routes for cross country very very quiet you know completely away from everywhere incredibly good training if you're exercising at 3,000 meters so I'm not saying I I wouldn't do it again but it's not going to happen not going to happen uh, yet but it is interesting how these alternatives to uh, traditional skiing have been uh, becoming more popular particularly since the lifts have closed and you know the lifts are closed it's difficult for us in Britain to get over uh, to the Alps and skiing in the UK has been going on. I was sent a, a great video, which I'm going to stick in the show notes uh, from the Where Stags Raw Facebook page. They were skiing in Scotland yesterday. But Mike, I know one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show today is you've been doing quite a bit of uh, skiing in Wales. You made us very jealous by telling us you were skiing uh, yesterday. You know, I'm really interested in that in a bit more detail if you are you prepared to uh, actually expose where you where you go uh, and share those details absolutely um, um we're very fortunate uh, i'm stroke unfortunate in my western part of wales where the weather systems are very similar to those of hokkaido where i spend most of my winters and i have done for the last over the last decade where large body of mass of water brings lots of precipitation orographic lift lifts the clouds hits mountains comes down as hopefully snow and that's what tends to happen in Hokkaido on the, on the western um, parts of the, the European continent and the North American continent unfortunately for us the, the Gulf Stream keeps things pretty warm most of the time but when we do get those uh, cold air coming down from the north and the northwest then that combination of a regular supply of precipitation with cold air gives us snow and um, the, the Brecon Beacons National Park and Penavan, which is the highest peak at uh, 886 metres, 
is the highest part in southern Britain. So if a weather system comes in from the west, that's what's going to cop it. And um, most people will think, you know, you know, they'll have seen photographs of the Brecon Beacons in the summertime. It's a very popular destination. Um, it's very easy access. You can park at the bottom of, of the, uh, the paved almost uh, path that takes you to the top. Uh, but in wintertime, it's becoming more and more popular because access is there. P the equipment, even just for walking, is, is has become a lot better. Um, but every winter, we, we get at least one storm system every month from November through to April. So there's six months potential worth of snowfall. Um, and some days, it's literally a day. And other days, you can go for maybe three or four days of cold weather, which is what we've got at the moment. And you can get uh, multi-days uh, trips up there. I mean, it it sounds amazing. I mean, I don't I, I don't know the Brecon Beacons uh, myself. I, I am very interested in where you know someone should go. But let's talk about that snow. I'm really interested in that snow itself. You're saying a system comes over it drops. What kind of snow? What is that giving you to actually ski on there? Um, anything from. Um, the inside of your freezer, which is those little dust ice crystals, <laughs> right through to legitimate powder. Um, it, it depends. I mean, it's one of those odd things where if you're in a ski resort, the last thing you want to have is wind accompanied by the snow because yeah. maybe that'll shut the lifts or it'll make the, uh, the snow conditions quite challenging. Um, a lot of the time, that's what we look for is a really violent, heavy storm because it almost acts like a, a polyfiller where it fills in all the gaps. It's kind of wet, but then because of the wind, that's what kind of firms it up then. We are blessed by the fact that you share some amazing photos on Instagram. I mean, some of those shots are so beautiful, but I'm wondering how many actual turns you get in. I mean, you said the highest point is 886, but are you actually getting a decent rundown from the top there? It depends on the snow conditions. Um, a lot of the time, it's kind of ridgeline skiing where you're sort of skiing either side of a ridge because that's where the snow is settled and, and consolidated. So you're kind of doing more of a, a long distance traverse with some half turns. So you're going down a ridgeline to the bottom and then walking back up. But for example, yesterday, um, there was good snow coverage top to bottom. So, you know, they were legitimate turns, you know, for almost 400 meters worth of vertical, which is maybe a couple of kilometers. So it's surprising how much terrain is out there. Um, but it's, you know, you, you beggars can't be choosers, as, as you always say, and you don't really know what's going to happen until you get up there. The weather models have become a lot more sophisticated in terms of telling us when it's going to snow, how much snow is going to come down. But ultimately, you, you don't know until you go. Well, I mean, your, your photos look great. And the fact that you're able to ski just now is obviously very exciting as well. Where actually do you head to then when you talk about the road or the uh, car park? Where are you Where are you looking to to take the best ridges? So the, 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 the central Beacons area where it has uh, the three highest peaks in that area are just off the A470 that links. Um, yeah. Cardiff right through to North Wales. That's the main artery that runs uh, north, south, or south, north in, in Wales. And there's a car, there are two car parks. One's the Story Arms, um, and the other one is the Pont d'Arve, which means the bridge over the river. Um, and there's plenty of parking there. Some days it gets a little bit busy. Um, and then there are, there are recognized consolidated paths that go from the car parks 
right to the summits. So it's navigation-wise, um, even in the worst weather, as long as you stick to the path uh, along the lines of the American Werewolf in London, then you, you won't go far wrong. <laughs> yeah, and obviously you're very experienced though with that as well. I think perhaps you said yesterday it was snowing in bad conditions, right? Yeah, and it's you can get a little bit lost if you don't know where you're going. Um, but ultimately, everything falls down to the river and the valley floor and the, and the road. So if you don't actually hit the spot where you parked, then you're only going to be 100 yards or so away from where you need to be. Yeah, well, I don't think we want to be encouraging any beginners perhaps to do it on snowy days because just to chip back to you Bethany uh, you know I following a lot of conversations on Twitter about people being very I don't know if it's paranoid maybe concerned about inexperienced ski tourers in France you know people who are desperate to go skiing taking on terrain or going into terrain that is not secured or is not safe have you seen anything like that? Um, there's definitely a lot of people who have never ski tour before going ski touring I've, I saw that on Les Ocean Boxing Day I was in Les Arc uh, before Christmas and saw a lot of that um, it's quite interesting because some resorts are preparing maybe a, a ski touring itinerary so Les Arc had got one coming out of Arc 1600 for example so you know that's that's been that's been prepared um, but yeah, it's it's a really tricky situation at the minute because you know resorts aren't actively encouraging people on the whole, but people are going out and going ski touring. Um, and the problem, well, the problem is in some places that is say that you're going up in the res where normally the resort would have a piste, but it's not being pisted, or maybe it's um, they they did start pre Christmas kind of churning up the piece, getting ready to kind of get them prepared, but then that that then gives like a actually a probably even more unsafe terrain, in, not in terms of avalanches, but in terms of you know kind of ice blocks or cannon snow, etc. So yeah, and you know there's lots of chat about the the pressure on the PGHM, so the rescue the rescue uh, service here, um, and and obviously the hospitals, but. It's really tricky because you, you can't stop people going into the mountains. Well, you can, but, you know, people are desperate to go. You can feel it. There's like this, this is this. You can feel like the the desperation to go and not just to ski, but just to be in the mountains, to be in, in the outdoors. Right. So. You know, I can, I can tell you, Bethany, that I can feel that from this country, let alone yeah. in France, where you can actually uh, see them. Uh, and, you know, you know, you know in, in a lot of resorts, you know, they do have, uh, for example, in Korshavau, they've they've set aside some designated uh, areas for people to ski tour. I guess it's just perhaps inexperienced people going uh, off the the beaten uh, track, so to speak. And, and talking of that beaten track, Mike, you said that there's some established routes to the top. I presume you get some funny looks from the, the walkers who perhaps aren't really expecting to see anyone on skis when you're up there on the mountain. Less so now. Um, I mean, I've been skiing there since 1996 um, and invariably I'd be the only person up there. Um, there was a rope tow uh, back in the 70s and the early 80s um, on the lower slopes. So there was a kind of recognised club sort of feel going on when the snow came down much like they got in the lake district and, and parts of scotland but that stopped um, and there's no more building within the national park so when i first started yeah i'd be the only person up there 
And then thankfully through social media, um, through the forums and through Instagram, you know, people contact me and say, when are you going up next? And, and it's always better to ski with somebody else. I mean, there's enough photos of me on the internet. I don't, you don't need to see me anymore. So it's nice to get other people. Um, and we, we had a guy, Sean Manley, who's uh, done many seasons abroad um, and, and worked in France. And he came for his first ski. And that's the, the photographs I think he'll be putting up from, uh, from the 3rd of December. And that was his first time um, up there. So more and more people are recognizing that, you know, we've got decent snow conditions, sometimes fantastic, as it was on the 3rd of December. And um, if you're prepared to put a little bit of effort in, you can get the reward. Well, uh, it's another one to go onto my uh, bucket list. And if it, it, depending how it turns out this season, maybe Wales um, will present, uh, you know, a possibility uh, as well. Uh, I am going to turn back to the Alps, though, because um, I just wanted to uh, run a quick interview that I did uh, with Dom Turner, who is from a company called Skiology, based out in uh, Morzine. And I, I came across them because I was uh, looking at an email I received from Montanvert, which is the, uh, the green lobbying group based in Morzine, with this great Christmas story um, about two penguins. I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes, but two penguins who... Uh, interested in sustainability and don't want too many presents for Christmas you know maybe not the sort of story that would be welcome for too many uh, you know young children but it, it led to a whole conversation about sustainability so let's have a quick listen to that I'm delighted to be uh, joined today on the ski podcast by Dom Turner from Skiology a uh, chalet operator uh, for Morzine and also Lake Caro uh, hi Dom how are you yeah, very well, thank you, Ian. How are you? And I'm good. And you in Morzine right now? Yeah, in Morzine, ready to go for the season that's going to be 2020-21. Uh, yeah, well, one hopes it, it, it will start. That's something we're always covering on the podcast itself. But the reason I wanted to um, speak to you today is I actually came across uh, your company, which who I had heard of before, but through an email that I received from Montanvert, and uh, regular listeners to the show uh, will will have come across Montanvert from our uh, electric car special that we uh, did a little while ago when we had uh, Al Judge who was talking about the uh, car they have in Morzine and he's involved with that. And the email I got was this fascinating story of uh, two penguins trying to create a more sustainable uh, world. Uh, I, I just in relation to that, I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes. But what prompted you to to come up with that story, then, Dom? Mm, cripes. Um So we are as a company quite an active part in Mountain Vert, and um, I'd been sort of talking to them about trying to take the message uh, a little wider and take it into schools. And um, an opportunity came up to do uh, a lesson at my daughter's school. Um, both in English and French. And so we thought, what better subject to, ta uh, to try and tackle than climate change? And um, so I guess we, we wrote, so my wife and I, who, who did like the original talk to the kids, we wrote a whole load of notes on it, did the talk, and then thought, that'd be really neat to get that to a wider audience. And so, um, yeah, and so wrote this little book, which I thought could also be like a nice present for like some godchildren. And I yeah. uh, was, chat was chatting with the folks at Mountain Vert because they're quite keen to, you know, sort of get a structured lesson plan that they can take into schools. And 
showed them the book and then yeah went out and then you well uh, you know, it, it was certainly and successful in that because it has reached a broader audience and i found it interesting i mean you obviously have a real interest in sustainability i notice on your website that uh, your very ambitious goal is to have the smallest carbon footprint for any uh, ski accommodation provider that's that's quite ambitious <laughs> how was that going that journey i think we're doing all right i mean we want to be able to, to, to basically to claim that in sort of three to five years, which is what we said last year. So I guess we're, we're now two to four years. And I mean, it's a big goal, but at the same point, like, I, I don't know that I suppose go big or go home. Like they say in the park, like if yeah. somebody, if somebody beats us to it, then we still <laughs> win. But um, I think, of course, uh, well, it is a win-win uh, scenario that. But it, as an ambition, it's great. And what I really liked about it is you've kind of described how you're going to try and get to that goal uh, by giving yourself targets for each season. So you had your your leap targets for last season. You've got your leap targets for this season uh, as well. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think the. the as far as I understand, you know, the biggest thing that anyone can do to um, lessen their carbon footprint is to be aware of the fossil fuels that they are contributing to the atmosphere. And so by putting our chalets on renewable energy, that's sort of, you know, the 20% that I believe makes 80% of the difference. And then we are doing, you, you know, that every year we find like a, little extra things that, that, that we can do to help the, the planet on its way. I notice in your goals for this year, one of the things is to uh, have more meat-free uh, meals in the chalets. It seems to be popular so far, like pe- uh, people are going for it. And I, I think that there's, well, there, uh, there's a saving in it as well, in that you know eating a vegetarian diet or a vegan diet is perhaps less costly uh, than eating like a meat diet. And so all of the savings from that will yeah. um, contribute to uh, Cool Earth, which is, um, which is a great I charity. did notice that as well. You have got um, uh, uh, charities that you're uh, uh, donating to. I also thought other interesting ideas for making the the running of the chalets more sustainable was going for more local uh, farm deliveries and even making yeah. your own yogurt is a plan for this year right yeah exactly i mean we are so fortunate to live so close to sort of some like many uh, like amazing producers um so where, where we are in morzine it takes about 45 minutes to get down to like lat le lake geneva and yeah. on the shores of uh, Lake Geneva, they, they have some incredible sort of producers. It's it's really hard, though, because, you know, we would love, love, love to sort of, you know, be able to sort of say that, yeah, you know, only local food. But the thing is, you know, with a, with a farm with two foot of snow on top of everything, there's not really much that comes out of the ground from December to January. And indeed, you know, the, in the farmers markets here, like our three main like local producers, they're not there in December or January because there is nothing to harvest. So we get yeah. like what we can, you know, they, they, um, they store apples and they store sort of uh, pears, you know, like in the big refrigeration unit. So we get those and leeks kind of still come out of the ground. And so just sort of like some salad. So, uh, and obviously like potatoes and onions as well. So yeah, it's really, really exciting to yeah. find. Well, I mean, there's so um, many um, 
elements in in what you're looking to do and that we wouldn't be able to do justice to them now but you can find out more on on your website which is skiology.co.uk and then forward slash uh, sustainability if you if you want to go that uh, to that and find out some more information so i wish you the best with that with this year's leap uh, and uh, i enjoyed your story which i'll put into the show notes as well so thanks very much very dom kind. that's brilliant uh, it's a pleasure talking to you and thank you for the time so sustainability, you know, I mean, it is, it's not just a story. It's something that I think many people are aware we need to do. And we've covered, you know, train travel and electric cars in, in different podcast specials uh, previously. I think you just see it all over the place. I mean, really, ski touring in itself is probably all about sustainability. You've seen any more, um, Bethany, any more uh, indicators that resorts are moving in that direction this season? I think a lot of resorts are trying to take more responsibility. Um, I work with Les Arc and uh, Les Arc have been given the, the label, the Flock on Vert label from the Mountain Riders Association uh, for this this winter. But I think it's it's very much the start of things. It's not just a label saying, oh, you, you know, you're doing well. Congratulations. It's right. You're doing well, but we're going to work together to do this, this, this. So and I think a lot of resorts are, are, are taking responsibility. I always find it hard. You know we're in you know we work in skiing that's that's our life we live and breathe it and it's and it can be quite a hypocritical industry to be in in terms of sustainability but I think resorts have to take responsibility as do individual skiers and um, you know obviously Ian you're leading by example by taking trains for your ski holidays but yeah I I, I kind of see resorts doing things I I yeah, mountain riders is, is some you know, an organization I, I follow quite closely so yeah there's there's some changes but I think it's still slow yeah well I guess it, it's uh, maybe the ocean liner that takes a long time to turn around but what is really encouraging is seeing all the different initiatives that resorts are bringing out and I think there is a yeah, there's an element of uh, of competition in there and competition is very good at developing innovation so um, hopefully we'll continue to report on the on the podcast with more examples of sustainability uh, now I just want to move on to a couple of reviews uh, because we have had some people contact us uh, I'd like to thank uh, Janet Barnett who said uh, thank you for your very informative and entertaining ski podcast which I look forward to every few weeks uh, Andrew Brannan who's a regular uh, listener said thanks for another great podcast he was also um, referring into our last episode the best resorts in the world Red Mountain is a big favorite of his uh, Terry said I was delighted to find the podcast uh, they have a good mixture of interviews, friendly banter, background information of all kinds, uh, general chit-chat and ski news. And it's great to get an insight through the interviews of people's backgrounds and their passions for the sport. I particularly enjoyed the interviews with Dave Riding and Graham Bell. Uh, and he will give us a four out of five, although he does say he hasn't given any podcast five yet. Now, talking about the things that he liked, I'd just like to chip in at this point that I'm going to be sharing a survey via our um, the Ski Podcast Facebook and Twitter. Uh, so you, listener, can tell us what you like about the Ski Podcast, what you'd like to hear more of and what you'd like to hear less of and how long you want to uh, the, the podcast to last for. I'm going to give away uh, some prizes for everyone uh, or for someone who participates in that. So I'll, I'll put that into the show notes and share it on social as well. Uh, I also wanted, from a Ski Book Group point of view, 
to uh, chip in a suggestion from Matt Hayes, who's another regular listener to the podcast. Now, he recommends a book called Alpine Cooking, which is by Meredith Erickson. Now, he says the herdsman macaroni and the tartiflette is the best he's ever come across. Those are his two recommendations. Uh, how do you two feel about tartiflette? Bethany, you got any views on tartiflette? Love it. <laughs> cheese, love it. Fondue, love it. Raclette, love it. <laughs> right, all of them then. Okay, you're a cheese lover. Mike, are you a tartiflette fan? Same, same. There's uh, there's no bad meals in the mountains. <laughs> well, if you burnt off a lot of uh, energy uh, touring up uh, whichever uh, mountain you've gone up, then maybe you need to be getting Alpine Cooking by Meredith Erickson uh, and getting that tartiflette recipe out of there. So thanks very much for that one, Matt. Now, our next podcast will probably be in about a couple of weeks uh, time. So it'll be the first one of 2021. And listener and listeners, I'd just like to encourage you to subscribe to the podcast if you can and share it if you can. Uh, you can follow me on uh, Skipedia uh, on Twitter and on Facebook. And you can follow the show at the Ski Podcast. And Mike, what's your Instagram for those great photos of skiing in Wales? Um, much the way the Welsh get uh, linked in with their professions and their passions, I'm Mike the Snow. Mike the Snow, right. This looks like the time to leave. I've just had a, uh, a puppy invade my recording studio. So we'll say goodbye now. Thank you, listener, for listening in 2020. And here's to 2021, where we all get to ski a little bit more than we have this year. Thanks very much. Hi there, listener. Ian here. I just wanted to let you know that you can now support the Ski Podcast at buymeacoffee.com. Researching, recording, editing and publishing the pod takes up a lot of my time. And don't get me wrong, I really enjoy it. You know, I love talking with people about skiing. But if you do enjoy listening to the podcast and you'd like to support us, then you can literally buy me a coffee, or in my case it would be a cup of tea, but the idea is the same. So just go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ski podcast. Thanks very much.